you probably remember where you were at great epic-making events during your lifetime. We just observed the 80th anniversary of the bombing of Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941, a date which President Roosevelt said would go down in infamy. There are fewer and fewer people left who were alive and remember where they were on that day. But there are many more of us who remember when President Kennedy was assassinated. And there are even more who remember when the terrorists flew into the Twin Towers and the Pentagon. But on the night when the single greatest moment in history took place and God the Creator stepped onto the scene of history as a man in Jesus Christ, there was no one taking notice on earth except for Mary and Joseph. And the mass of the world's population in that moment later on would not turn to one another and say, I remember where I was when that occurred. But boy, did heaven notice. And heaven made it known to just a few lowly shepherds at first on a cold night in the fields surrounding Bethlehem. At that first Christmas, the reaction of heaven and those who first heard this message of his birth, the birth of Christ, received this gift with giving glory to God. And that's what we're going to see happening in our story of the announcement of Christ's arrival to the shepherds and their responses upon his arrival. This year, during our Advent season, we are doing a series called Jesus, the name above all names. And we're looking at different passages concerning the names and titles of Jesus given at his first coming and the impact that that has had on believers. Today we're coming to this passage, of course, where the angels announce Christ's birth to the shepherds. So follow along with me as I read the story of the angels revealing the birth of Christ in Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 20. This is the word of the Lord. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. 
And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. That ends the reading of God's word. Well, we're going to focus today on the message of God from the angels and their response And then also the responses of the shepherds. So this first section focuses upon the angels give glory to God for the sending of the Savior, Christ the Lord, in verses 8 through 14. And we're first introduced here, point A, to the appearance of an angel to the lowly. You know, we get this scene here of a dark winter's night in a field near Bethlehem, and these shepherds are taking shifts. They're watching the flock, others are sleeping, and they're protecting their flock from predators. But what is so astounding, what is so instructive for us, is who these men are, and the announcement that's being made by God to these lowly men. You see, Our attitude toward shepherds today is quite different than the attitude of ancient Israel. In the first century, the attitude that people had about shepherds was not great. In fact, they were considered the second lowest in society, only above the lepers. They were notorious for stealing other people's sheep. They were considered liars Their testimonies were not accepted in a court of law. You know, if country music had been popular back then, there'd probably been a song, Mama, don't let your baby grow up to be a shepherd. They were dirty. They worked around animals. They were considered unclean, unable to worship with God's people at the temple. And yet, God purposefully reveals the good news of his son's birth to these men. Now, of course, we're so familiar with this story that we quickly pass over the appearance of an angel to these shepherds. We tend to have a false understanding or view of angels, probably because of the way they're depicted in books or in artwork or in movies But angels are found all throughout the scripture. But angels are not human. And they don't turn into humans. And humans don't turn into angels. They're invisible. But at times, they appear. And they often take on the look of a human. They are messengers of God. They do his bidding. They speak for God. They're holy. They're powerful. And the first response that people have when an angel appears to them is fear in the scriptures. And it's no different in this situation here. But it's not because these men are startled by something. No. I imagine these shepherds didn't fear a whole lot. They were used to living in the wilderness with great danger. They were a rough group of guys, probably like the the cowboys of the 19th century West. But if an angel appeared to us right now, I imagine 
that there would be this piercing bright light of glory and that we would all fall backwards or fall onto the ground in fear and in awe. God was probably being sensitive to these shepherds by having only one of the angels appear to them at first. Now let's look at point B, the announcement by the angel in verses 10 through 12. First, he tries to comfort these men, telling them not to fear, and then he tells them why they are not to fear. The reason is that they don't have to fear is because he brings them good news. Euangelion is the Greek word that we get for evangelism, good news. It's joyful news for those who receive and believe it, and it's for all people. In other words, not just the Jews, but Gentiles as well, from every tribe and and nation to all who by grace believe. Now, when a baby invitation is given, it's usually something like this. We're happy to announce the birth of so-and-so to Mrs. and Mr. so-and-so, and then you have the date and the time and then the weight and the height of that baby. But did you notice something peculiar about this announcement? The angel says, for unto you is born. It's like, I'm happy to announce that Jesus was born to you. And it communicates that this birth is specifically for the shepherds and for all who would believe in him. And then the angel says the location of the birth, which has great significance. The city of David is the city where King David was born, Bethlehem. And this is significant because of the prophecies in the Old Testament. 2 Samuel 7.16 says that the Messiah would be from the line of David and that he would reign forever on his throne. But it's also referring to the prophecy in Micah 5.2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. David's humble beginning in Bethlehem was that of a shepherd. And God depicted himself as a shepherd of his people in Psalm 23, and so Bethlehem has a lot of symbolism and significance to it. But the most blessed part of this announcement were the titles that the angel used of Jesus. Born to them was a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This harkens back to when Gabriel met with Mary and pronounced to her that she was going to be pregnant and they were to name the baby Jesus. And it also harkens back to when the angel met with Joseph saying the same thing. You will name this baby Jesus. This is a name that God gave this child and it means God is salvation. And the angel captures the purpose, the promise, and the nature of these of this baby in these three titles. He came to be a savior. What does that imply? It implies that 
mankind needs saving. That mankind cannot save itself. This is what the Bible tells us. We need a Savior because we are lost. Because we are sinners. And God is holy. And He's just. God demands perfect righteousness. Perfect goodness. Perfect obedience to His commandments. We were created in His image to reflect His glory perfectly. And yet Adam sinned. And because of his sin, we've all inherited a sinful nature. We're all fallen. We fall short of his commandments. But furthermore, God is absolutely just. All of our sins must be punished. We are under God's condemnation and wrath. We cannot pay God back for the great sin debt that we owe him. You know, scholars say that It's likely these shepherds being so close to Bethlehem in the wintertime were providing from their flocks lambs for the temple sacrifices. You know, the sacrificial system was to communicate that all of us are sinners and sin needs to be punished or atoned for. And the blood of animals were not sufficient, but pointed ahead to how God was going to ultimately provide a perfect substitute human sacrifice. And so this is what Jesus came to provide. The second person of the Trinity became a man and yet without sin and remained God. And he came to be our substitute to fulfill the commandments in our place perfectly so that he would transfer to his people his righteous record. And he also came on our behalf to go to the cross, to take on the sins of his people and to become our substitute atoning sacrifice. This is how Jesus was to save his people, to receive the wrath and punishment that they deserved by being punished in their place on the cross, through his suffering, through his bleeding, through his dying. And then he was raised on the third day from the dead, verifying his identity as God and the anointed Savior and confirming that God the Father accepted his work on behalf of his people. And so now all who recognize their sin by God's grace and are born again and believe and trust in Christ alone for their salvation, who repent and surrender to Christ as their Lord, they are declared righteous before God. They are forgiven of all of their sins. They're brought into God's forever family, and they have the gift of eternal life in heaven, in fellowship with God forever. And then the title Christ, this is from the word Christos in the Greek, which is translated in the Hebrew Messiah or anointed one. It refers to the promised anointed one prophesied numerous times in the Old Testament beginning with Genesis 3, 5 that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent and he would bruise his heel. He would be the anointed by God as prophet priest and king. And then the term Lord, as we have seen before, is the name God. 
And so the angel is pronouncing, God has come. Your Savior, the promised anointed one, has been born a man. And then the angels give them a sign. You know, the angels don't tell the shepherds to go and find Jesus. It's implied here. They're they're going to look for a sign. And what are those signs? A child will be in swaddling cloths. Now, that's not unusual for infants to be in swaddling cloths. It could have applied to any baby in Bethlehem. But the second sign narrows it down a lot. This child will be in a feeding trough, in a manger. The Latin word for manger is to chew. And so this is a place where animals would chew, would eat their food. Isn't it an amazing contrast? The angel has just announced that this baby will be a savior, the Messiah, and God himself but he's going to be found in a trough. And you'll recall why he's in a trough, because Joseph and Mary could not find any room to stay in, and so the only room that they could be in was a stable, a stall where animals were kept. Can you imagine the humility of Jesus' arrival, his birth? He veiled his glory, but not only that, Instead of being born in a king's palace with all the best doctors and nurses around, with all the comforts of the world, he was born in an animal stall. He's placed in a dirty feeding trough. It was the beginning of his humility that would lead to his ultimate humility, death on a cross. Well, now we come to the response of the angels, point C. As soon as this announcement was finished, we're told in verses 13 and 14, suddenly with the angel appeared a multitude of the heavenly host. What does a multitude of the heavenly host mean? It means a lot of angels. We don't know what a multitude means. It could mean hundreds, thousands, millions But we know that it doesn't happen very often in Scripture. Usually you see one or two or maybe three angels appearing to people. But this was a multitude. Perhaps they filled up the whole sky from horizon to horizon. What a sight that must have been. Imagine the power of just one angel, let alone thousands. But one angel was not enough to respond appropriately to the message that was being given. And what are they doing? They're praising God. They're responding with joy. They're giving glory to God with their whole being. We read that they were saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I read in one commentary, this was not a hymn that rose up from the heart of man, but an anthem that came down from heaven that gives further revelation, fuller revelation of the true divine glory of Jesus. Now there is some debate about whether they sang or they shouted this. We we don't know from the language here. It just says that they said, but I imagine they sang it, don't you? 
the greatest choir that ever appeared on the earth was right there. And I think they were singing. But regardless of whether they were singing or they were shouting this, angels never just go through the motions. You know, you and I might sometimes in reading scripture or in singing a hymn have mediocre enthusiasm. Not often here. You all are very enthusiastic when you sing. But sometimes we're like that. But angels are never mediocre in what they do or what they say. And what does glory to God mean? Glory means ascribing heaviness, ascribing weightiness. In the truest application of the word, it pertains to the sum of all God's attributes. It is the beauty of God's manifold perfections. Glory means to acknowledge this about God with your whole being humbly praising and worshiping him for all the perfection of his attributes. They were ascribing to God the highest worship and praise. They were pointing to God's glory. Now these angels who were often in the presence of God worshiping him seemed, I think, to have been eavesdropping on this first angel that made this pronouncement and they can hardly contain themselves Because of what they've heard, heaven splits open, the nighttime is chased away, and they now begin worshiping in the presence of these shepherds, showing how amazing this God is and his work of sending his son. You know, in 1 Peter 1.12, we're told that angels long to look at the good news of the gospel. It's a wonder to them. Why is it a wonder to them? Because they know the holiness of God. And they see what God is doing for undeserving sinners who have rebelled against God and who are unaware of the depths of their sin and the infinite measure of God's holiness. They're astounded at God's grace. You see, angels are never recipients of God's grace and love this way. Jesus didn't come for the angels. He came for sinners. And these extraordinary, mighty ones who've dwelt in the presence of the glory of God, they are in awe of this salvation. They are in awe of the cost involved of God coming to this earth, humbling himself, himself becoming a man with such humility they're flabbergasted at God's love and mercy and their response is first to worship and then it is to proclaim the wonderful results that this will bring to men it will mean peace on earth and it refers here to the peace that we have with God in a relationship with him by grace And it also refers to the peace that we can have with one another. As we rely on the peace that we have with God, we can pursue peace with one another. Next week, Tim is going to be preaching on the peace of Christmas, the peace of Christ's coming. So we look forward to him expounding upon this and other messages, other passages rather. So now let's move to the second section of our text, showing us how the shepherds give glory to God for the gift 
of the Savior Christ the Lord. In verses 15 and 16, we see how the shepherds don't waste any time. Point A, the haste of the shepherds. What does it mean to make haste? It means to quickly go, eagerly go. And so right after the angels went back to heaven, the shepherds agreed immediately. They need to leave. They need to go to Bethlehem to see what the angels told them. Now, we don't know what kind of arrangements they made. I can't imagine they would have left their sheep unattended. Probably this means that a couple stayed and the rest went. But it worked out. They didn't wait, I don't think, until morning. They traveled, perhaps at night, and they found Mary and Joseph in the morning, perhaps, with a baby lying in the manger. And then we see point B, the response of the shepherds in verses 17 through 20. When they saw Mary and Joseph and they saw the baby, they told them exactly what they had seen and heard from the angels. They told them what the angels said about Jesus being the Savior, the Christ, the Lord. And then that the multitudes of angels appeared and they worshiped and they glorified God and they proclaimed that this child was bringing peace among those with whom he is pleased. We can only imagine how this must have encouraged Joseph and Mary. But we're told here, Mary in particular pondered these things in her heart. She meditated upon them. She stored them in her heart and mind. And I can imagine that later on, as she was struggling to see what was happening to her son and even his death, these things came back to her and encouraged her and showed her who her son really was and what he came to do. But notice what else the shepherds did in verse 18. It says, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They weren't content to just tell Joseph and Mary. They spoke the word to anyone they came in contact with. They simply told what they had seen and what they had been told. In verse 20 it says the shepherds returned. What did they return to? They returned to their jobs. They returned to being shepherds again. They went back to work. But their work and their life became their mission field because they were changed. They had been converted. They were glorifying God. They were praising him for all that they had heard and seen. I don't know about you, but I have to fight uh, the feelings that I have the day after Christmas. And maybe it just comes from my childhood. You know, you're getting all these toys and this build up to Christmas and then it's over. And then you have to take down the decorations. No more Christmas music. That's it. Back to life. That's a letdown, isn't it? If you're putting your hope and trust in those things, yes. Christmas came and went for these shepherds, but their Christmas joy never left them. Their hearts, they're still excited, filled with joy. And it wasn't the appearance of the angels that they primarily talked about, they talked about who this Jesus was. They had been converted. They believed this child was the Savior who is Christ, who is God. And so giving glory to God is 
a reoccurring theme in this passage. We've seen how the angels gave glory to God and how the shepherds gave glory to God for God sending his son to be the savior who is Christ the Lord. So what does God want us to take away from this text? What kind of application does he want us to apply to our everyday lives, to our thinking, to our acting? Well, let me give you three. First, ask God to show you how you are lowly like the shepherds, but that his good news is also for you. You know, the status of these shepherds reminded me of when many years ago we went on a mission trip to Romania. And in Romania, the outcasts in that country are the gypsies. And we were amazed when we got there how little effort there seemed to be in reaching the gypsies with the gospel. It seemed that even some Protestant churches were reluctant to do this. See, these gypsies had a similar reputation to the shepherds in the ancient Middle East. But a few from our team went to visit a group of gypsies nearby to share the gospel with them. And you see, God shows us in our text that his heart is for the outcasts, for those who are lowly. And I think sometimes those who are lowly have a little bit greater proclivity to know they are unworthy sinners, even though that comes by God's grace. You see, Jesus the King came on a mission for people like these shepherds, shunned by society. And the message of Christmas is that in Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God is for broken sinners, not perfect people, messed up people, not all stars. You remember Jesus said a number of times, it's not the healthy that he came for. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. The sick need a doctor. He did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, this is the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God, that Jesus' coming inaugurates and brings salvation to the dirty, to the guilty, to the secretly ashamed, to cleanse them, to restore them, to reconcile them to God, to save them. This is the message of Christmas, that Jesus came for all of us who realize that we are sinners, who realize that we cannot possibly save ourselves. So I ask you, have you trusted in Christ? Have you relinquished any attempt to try to save yourself? Have you admitted that you are lost without hope except through the grace of God provided by Jesus Christ in his work, in his life, death, and resurrection? Have you believed that Jesus is your Savior, the Christ, the Lord? Please don't delay if you have not accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord. You know, God sent an army of angels, not to destroy, but to announce this peace available to all those who repent and believe in Christ. But you know, someday his army of angels is going to accompany him and it will be too late for sinners. Now is the day of salvation. 
Repent and believe in Christ. Stretch out your hand and receive his grace by faith alone. Secondly, ask God to give you a sense of his glory in the sending of his son from the angel's perspective. Think about this. Angels need no forgiveness. They're in awe and wonder of the gospel. Try to see the birth of Christ from their perspective and you will get a closer and closer understanding of the wonder of it, the glory of it. The substance of the angel's song is very instructive, isn't it? It's first upward to God and then it's outward. That ought to be our response. Oh, Lord, thank you. I glorify you. I praise you. And now I'm motivated to tell others this same wonderful message. That should be our response. You know, when you think about it, the angels should never outpraise us. Given what we know about our need and God's grace in the gospel, we ought to be more excited about the gospel than they are. They don't need it. But we're desperately hopeless without it. Do you seek to have your praise rival that of the praise of angels in heaven? Thirdly, see how the shepherds responded to the announcement of the angels and in seeing the Christ child. They didn't yet understand exactly how Christ was going to be their savior, how he was going to provide for them righteousness, how he was going to provide for them forgiveness. But God gave them faith to believe in the angel's message. And when they saw the infant child, they knew he was their savior. You know, we have this record in inspired scripture of their experience, of their reactions. But we live on the other side of the incarnation and the cross and the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. We have the authoritative word. We have so much more knowledge than what the shepherds had. So how much more should we be overwhelmed in awe of his coming and his resurrection and his, and his ascension for our justification? So thirdly, ask God to rekindle your joy and desire to glorify God, which should surpass that of the shepherds. Ask him to fill you with his spirit and give you renewed joy, renewed enthusiasm, and a commitment to bring glory to him for all that you've heard him say to you in your word and seen him do in your heart and your life. See, we ought to be so saturated with the Christmas story and the glory of the gospel that we can't help but tell others about it. You see, these shepherds, they heard the gospel, they believed it, they acted upon it with worship and with witness. See, we ought to be people who realize that we're sinners. We didn't deserve God's grace, but he gave it to us anyway out of his love. And that should elicit great praise in us. We ought to never get bored of this message. You know, you don't have to be a trained order. You don't have to be a theologian to be able to tell people about the meaning of Christmas, the meaning of Christ's coming and what he has done to save us. These shepherds had probably never been to school. They probably weren't good communicators. 
Furthermore, they knew what people felt about them in their culture. They were outcasts. They were the most despised group in that society, but they were compelled by the glory of what they had heard, what they had seen, and what they had experienced in salvation. And so I encourage us, let us recommit to praying for renewed joy and a desire to glorify Christ like they had. See, if you have a renewed sense of joy in what Christ has done for you, you won't compartmentalize that joy. And what I mean by that is you won't just express that joy in worship on Sunday morning. You can't. You will naturally take that praise and that testimony of joy everywhere you go into your relationships at work, into your school relationships, into your relationships with people you play tennis with, or into relationships that you have with your neighbors, and especially into relationships that you have with your family. These lowly shepherds had a powerful impact just by repeating what they heard and what they had seen and experienced with sincere joy. They were never the same. When they returned to their normal jobs and families, even though they continued to live in a society that put them down, they were overcomers. They were conquerors. They had a mission in whatever they did to constantly ascribe glory to God, sharing the good news. Well, may what was said about them be said about us in ever-increasing ways. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them, and they returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray. Oh Lord, only by your grace can we respond with a desire to glorify you and to tell others about the good news of the gospel, about your coming to this earth as a man to be our Savior. We do pray that you would give us renewed joy this season, that we would rise above our circumstances and see what you have done for us in Christ. Lord, give us the same kind of desire to glorify you that these angels had, that these shepherds had, Help us, Lord, in our own way, in our own places where we are living to express that joy and to praise you and to tell others how they can know that joy as well. Thank you, Jesus, for the great love that you had for us and that you continue to have for us as you intercede for us each day. And thank you, Lord, that we look forward to a glorious future with you. We have the hope of heaven in our hearts now. May we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.